touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I am your host, Jonathan Strickland. Joining me in the studio today, he's my friend, he's yours, he's Ben Bolin. Ben, welcome back to the show. Hey, Jonathan. Thank you so much for having me on the show, even though we know that we're both going to have to work assiduously mm-hmm. to keep this a family-friendly show. You've invited me on to talk, talk about, yeah, talk yeah. about a, a subject that uh, is guaranteed to get us, as my grandfather would say, all head up. <laughs> we get all head up in here. It's true. Uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about something that's actually, we're going to have to work very hard for multiple reasons, because we're talking about Apple versus the FBI, mm-hmm. uh, the whole uh, story that's unfolding as we record this, um, and to talk about what is behind that case, what are the implications, what is the FBI's argument, what is Apple's argument. And in, in addition to that, we have, of course, the added responsibility of remembering that this is all centered around a truly awful crime. Yes, absolutely. So the what we're what we're talking about specifically hit mainstream news when Apple did something that a lot of tech companies have never done. They issued a blanket statement letter and went public. Yeah. With a um they they went public with a response to an FBI request, but I guess I'm getting ahead of it. What was the crime? Well, let's yeah, let's I'll, I'll give you the background on what's happened, and uh, we'll we'll build from there. So, first we have to look back on December second, two thousand fifteen, uh, in San Bernardino, California. That's in Southern California, and that's when uh, two well, an American citizen and a legal resident, mm-hmm. uh, husband wife team. Uh, both of Pakistani descent, uh, committed a, a mass shooting. Uh, it was, uh, Syed Rizwan Farooq and, uh, Tashfeen Malik mm-hmm. who committed this act. And it happened at the Department of Public Health. They were having an event, mm-hmm. uh, that was starting off as a training event and then it was supposed to transition into a holiday event. Mm-hmm. And, uh, after the training element, Farouk, who was actually at the event, he was uh, in the employee of the Department of Public Health. He was a food inspector, uh, left, came back with his wife. They were both heavily armed and they both started firing into the crowd of people at the Department of Public Health. Fourteen people were killed, 22 injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, very serious crime. Then uh, Farouk and, and Malik left. They fled the scene. It turned out they had also left behind an explosive device, which thankfully did not detonate. Right. Yeah. Failed to detonate. Uh, and they, they fled in a, a vehicle that they had rented a, co- a few days before. Mm-hmm. And several hours later, law enforcement tracked them down. There was a confrontation. There was a shootout. Uh, and then both of the shooters died as a result of that shootout. The FBI has stated that they believed, based upon the evidence they were able to find, that the two were acting on their own, that they were not part of some sort of terrorist cell in the United States. However, they can't be absolutely certain of that. That's where the the crux of this issue with Apple is going to come into play. Mm-hmm. And what the the big part of it is they can't account for it's just less than 20 minutes of the activity that happened 
between the shooting uh, or, or leading up to the shooting and, and around the shooting because they're they're thinking that there's a possibility that something that happened within that time could give them more information and at least allow them to confirm uh, whether or not they, they truly acted on their own or if they were under the direction of some other group. Which could potentially, and this is an FBI argument, which could potentially give uh, the government the ability to prevent a future attack. And more to that point, neither of them had been listed in any database as a mm-hmm. potential threat. So that puts extra pressure on the government, right? Because citizens say, well, why did this happen the government says we followed procedure and neither of them registered on any of our no red flags. Yeah, there were no red flags. So we yeah. had no way of knowing. And uh, that means there's actual extra pressure on the FBI to investigate this thoroughly, partially to show that, in fact, everything that could be done had been done short of taking some extreme step that none of us want to see. Right. The idea of like, okay, everyone of Pakistani descent has to leave the country. That's ridiculous. We would that's that's returning to an era of United States history that we do not want to revisit. Like a World War Two internment camp situation. Yeah, we don't want that. No, we don't want that because it is never fair to lump innocent people in for fear that one of them might be guilty. That's not cool. Right. Mm -hmm. This is I'm already getting angry and I haven't even gotten to the part about the Apple stuff yet. I'm I'm going for a slow burn thing myself. That's fair. (laughs) So one of the 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 thing that's that all of this is about ostensibly at any rate Mm -hmm. is an iPhone. It's specifically an iPhone 5C, probably running iOS 9. That's based upon the various uh, public filings we've seen about this. Um, and it was county owned. It was owned by the Department of Public Health uh, and okay. then issued to Farouk, who worked for the Department Department of Public Health. So it was county owned. The FBI went to the county and said, we want your permission to access the contents on this phone. The county said, of course, you have our permission. You can access it. Now, if that's all there were to it, it'd be fine. Sure. FBI would just access the phone. They've already received permission from the phone's owner and they could Call through it to look for any evidence that would lead them to more information about this crime. But there is a security measure on the phone, and it's a very simple one. It's on lots of smartphones. It's uh, it's a little password. In this case, it's a, a four- or six-digit PIN, mm-hmm. which can be alphanumeric if you activate that option on the six-digit. So it's one of the two. We don't know which. And... Without that pin, you cannot access the the information because the the way the pin works. This is where we get into the tech stuff, Ben. All right. There are two levels of encryption here, two keys to this encryption. One of the keys is the pin. The other key is hard coded onto the device itself. Okay. All right. It's only it's if you think about movies like those 1980s movies with the nuclear power where you have to have two generals put their keys into the uh, console yeah, yeah. and turn it same sort of thing. So if you don't have the pin, it can't combine with the hardware key and therefore you cannot unlock the information. The idea here is that Apple doesn't have the pin. Right, which is cool. Uh, because it means that if you or I or you listeners have an iPhone, it means you can trust Apple because they don't know your pin. Right. They can't access your phone. Uh, 
you know, that, that was the whole point. Right. One, two points. One, Apple wanted to make it secure enough so that consumers would say, I feel good about buying an iPhone mm-hmm. because I know whatever I store on it, whether it's something that's personal or it's just, you know, it's no one else's business, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Sure. No one else is going to have access to that unless I give them my pen. It's good for Apple, not just because consumers are happy, but because Apple then has an out. If the government comes to Apple and says, hey, we want you to break into this phone, they can literally say, we cannot do that. It's not that we will not. It's that we literally physically cannot grant your request Mm -hmm. because it's impossible. And there's also, I, I would just to expound that point a, a little bit further, mm-hmm. uh, this I'm not suggesting is their conscious will or intention, but this also removes possible culpability. Yes. Yes. So all of these are very important points, right? Mm-hmm. So let's get into a little bit more of why the FBI is coming to Apple. So let's say that it's a four-digit pin. Okay. All right. All uh, numeric. This all numeric, simplest version that means there are 10,000 combinations that are possible for that pen. That's it. That's You're limited to 10,000. Okay. Which is, that's a lot, but it's not that much if you're going to do a something like a brute force attack, mm-hmm. right? So if you do a brute force attack on a normal system and there are only 10,000 variations, it's with a fast enough computer, it's just a matter of minutes. Right. But there are some limitations on the iPhone that make this harder. Ah, does it freeze if you enter the incorrect pen? Oh, it does more than freeze. All right. So first of all, there is an 80 millisecond delay when you enter a pen and when it gets verified that it is or is not the correct one. When the other key turns. Right. So with that 80 millisecond delay, that doesn't sound like much, but it means you can't just blast a whole bunch of numbers through. Also, Mm. you have to type it in on a screen. You can't hook it up to a computer and just digitally send the various pen combinations mm-hmm. to try and get through, you have to actually tap them on on the screen to do it over and over. So that means you tap in a number, 80 milliseconds pass, you get the confirmation or denial, tap in a number. Next, uh, uh, if you hit 10 consecutive incorrect pen entries, the phone interprets that as saying someone else who is not the owner has gotten possession of this phone. So in order to protect the owner's information, we're scrambling everything and you lose all the metadata. Everything is useless. So even if you got the pen afterward, you would not be able to access the stuff you were looking for in the first place. You would maybe be able to turn on the phone, but there wouldn't be anything there to find. Yeah, you you would have just... I'll, you would have just, it, it, it'd be like you just accidentally set fire to the file room. <laughs> like, you know, like you can't get into the file room door and whatever you try and do accidentally sets a fire inside the file room. You then get the key to the file room and then you think, well, what's the point? Right. We've and, already lost everything. And it's, it's virtually assured. Yeah. That out of those. 10,000. Yeah, out of those 10,000 tries, your first 10 are going to be wrong. Yeah, I mean, just the odds are pretty much against you, unless right. you're ridiculously lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that. And, and of course, they don't, they also, if, if it were an actual later uh, iPhone, if it weren't the iPhone 5C, mm-hmm. they would have an added problem, which is that uh, with the later models, there's an additional delay after four failed tries. So if you try four times and fail, it will then give you a five-second delay before you can try the fifth time. After that, it gives you a 15-second delay. After that, like, by the time you get to the ninth try, it's an hour delay. It's like, think about what you're doing. Right. (laughs) 
So, but the 5C doesn't have that. So you may have read about that delay. It does not qualify for this particular so, so case. So brute force won't work in the most basic pin situation, but in the right. six-digit alphanumeric, I just imagine the same rules apply, but the... But po- yeah. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. But the possible answers are much greater mm-hmm. because now you've got six digits. You've also got the uh, possibility of uh, alpha alpha characters in there, alphabet characters. Upper and so, lowercase? Uh, I believe so. Um, so anyway, uh, from what I hear, if you were to try and use brute force on um, a six-digit alphanumeric one, it would take you, with a, with a fast computer that had been optimized for this, mm. it would take you about six years to break through it. And that's going through all the different possible combinations, assuming that there's not another kill switch type deal mm-hmm. like there is with the iPhone. By the way, that's software that Apple has built into the uh, iPhone, or really firmware that Apple has built into the iPhone. It's not like it's a fundamental you know, quality that all smartphones Oh, share. right. Yeah, yeah. That's That's specific to Apple phones. Right. So... You've got this problem, right? You have the FBI. They've gotten mm-hmm. permission from the owner of the phone mm-hmm. to access the phone's uh, uh, contents, but the owner of the phone doesn't know the pen because the owner of the phone had had issued it to an employee. The employee had come up with the pen. So they don't know if it's a four digit. They don't know if it's a six digit. They don't know. Um, they don't know if this uh, this feature where after 10 tries, everything gets erased. They don't know if that's necessarily active because you can turn it off. Uh-huh. But all indications point to it being on. For one, it was on when the phone was issued to Farouk. Right. And people typically don't change their defaults. Right. Most phone users. So FBI wants Apple to do something particular and it's something different from what we've talked about in previous episodes about uh, a backdoor entrance into a system it's not quite the same thing so you've got this phone you can't brute force attack it without risking damaging the contents mm-hmm. uh, Apple cannot access the information on this phone by design they did not want that to have that capability mm-hmm. So what the FBI wants Apple to do is build a new version of iOS just for this phone, a specific iOS for this phone that disables the safety features that would, uh, one, prevent brute force attacks from happening quickly, two, allow brute force attacks to happen by hooking up the phone to a computer so you don't have to tap those numbers in anymore, and three, disabling that kill switch. So what the FBI wants Apple to do is to build up a brand new iOS, uh, again, just for this one phone, and then in- install it on the phone. This would all, uh, you know, hypothetically happen on Apple grounds, like at an mm-hmm. Apple location, either at the corporate headquarters or wherever. Um, and then in theory, you would then destroy the, the, uh, the custom iOS. Because you only needed it for that one phone. Right, because it was so easy to toss the one ring, uh, bring it back to Mordor and destroy it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Mount Doom, plenty of backdoors. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's integral to the plot. That was, the, that was Sauron's problem, was that he did not plug the security vulnerabilities <laughs> into in Mount Doom. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a classic example, like, you know, yeah. right up there with the whole land war with Asia thing. So, FBI has been very, very careful in framing this in a mm-hmm. way that 
presents it as a reasonable request. One time thing. One time thing. That's a, that's a big deal, right? Saying mm-hmm. this is for one and phone and one phone only. You would, you know, we're suggesting that Apple creates an iOS that is directly tied to an, a unique identifier on that phone, meaning even if the iOS were somehow to leak, sure. it would not be applicable to any other device on the market. So it could only work for this one phone. So that, that sounds good. In its current form. That's, that's important. They didn't go so far as to say that. That's the important part that's left out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's, that was reasonable, you could argue, saying this is for one case only. It's, it's an important case. It's, People died as a result. It's extraordinary and we need to have a clear timeline because yes. we don't know if there's something, what is there something planned for December 2nd, 2016? Right. Or was there another person involved that we need to, to get hold of because otherwise right. they, this could happen again. Um, uh, so, uh, they've said, you know, one time only use, gonna destroy it after that use. Uh, e- hey, and Apple, if you don't want to make this iOS, that's fine. You don't have to do it. We'll do it. We'll hire some people to reverse engineer it, build out an iOS ourselves. Here's the thing though. Those iPhones will only verify firmware if there's a special Apple digital signature attached to the firmware. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if the digital signature, which is unique to Apple, if that's not in there, it won't be verified by the device. It won't be loaded on because Apple famously wants to make sure that their hardware and software works together and that's it. No one else gets to play in that, that sandbox. Yeah. yeah. It's the same with their Mac computers forever, yeah. right? Like you were really meant to run Apple software on Apple hardware and never the twain shall part. Right. So, exactly. Same thing with this iPhone. So the FBI says, so we're not even asking you to give us the digital signature, which would be disastrous if Apple did that. The mm-hmm. whole point of the signature is to make sure that only Apple can do this stuff. What they're saying is we'll make this iOS. We'll give it to you. Yes. And yep. you will sign off and send it. Right. You give a little stamp of approval with mm-hmm. your little digital signature, and then we can load it onto this phone. But that way, you don't even have to build the code. See, we're being really reasonable. So here's here's the other issue. Apple kind of shot itself in the foot. Uh, see, this is kind of a workaround already, this idea of... Being able to uh, to create a new kind of firmware to work around the mm-hmm. the security measures while not affecting any of the underlying data. The reason why that's possible at all is that Apple has allowed for the possibility of issuing a firmware update to a phone without the phone's owner having to accept it. Ah, uh, yes. See, if... Apple had designed this so that when it pushed out a firmware update, you as the user had to log into your phone and accept it. There'd be no way for Apple to do this because you would already have to have the pin in order to accept the update. So you can't work your way around the pin mm-hmm. because even the update to try and do the workaround would still need the pin. But that's not the case. Apple can issue a firmware update without the user's consent. This, by the way, also a security problem, not just a security problem in this particular case, but what if someone at Apple, you know, decided to code it in so that you could activate the microphone 
right. remotely. Or the camera. Yeah, and they and they shoot this firmware update out, and you don't have the the ability to deny it. You might not even be aware that it happens unless you happen to be using your phone when the firmware update gets pushed to your phone. Right. That's an issue. So because Apple can do this, that gives FBI the the uh, the leg up to mm. make this request. So the FBI just is, is trying to be as reasonable as possible in their request while avoiding the addressing the problems that could arise should Apple agree to it. And yeah, that's See, but that's the thing, Jonathan. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 the thing. No matter how single use this might be. Yeah. No matter how noble or even crucial the cause. Right. There's not there is not a practical way that this would work without severe repercussions. Yeah, there's a there's a word I like to use in this case. It's called precedent. Ah. So when you set a precedent where Apple agrees, acquiesces, surrenders, mm-hmm. is compelled to, however you want to put it, to uh, agree to FBI's demands, you can't undo that. That has happened. And perhaps more importantly, not only has it happened in the U.S. government, but now other governments that operate where Apple sells products could come to Apple and say, mm-hmm. we know you can do this because you have done it. And we know you will do this because you did do it. So if you want to do business in our country, you know, the one that starts with Ch and ends with Ina. Right. You will do this for us. And when you're talking about a government like China's government, you could see how this could be used to in, to an abusive extent. Sure. Anyone who is identified as a dissident could be targeted. Mm-hmm. And China's an enormous market, right? Apple cannot, as a publicly traded company, turn its back on the biggest emerging market in the world. Not even emerging. It's emerged. The biggest market in the world. Well, also, it's a, there are manufacturing bases for Apple yes. in China. Yes. That's part of it. That's already been a security concern. Let's also consider, uh, I mean, if we're being honest, mm-hmm. okay, how, how do I say this correctly, uh, Jonathan? Um, oh, yes, okay. While there is no universally acknowledged proof that corporate Corporate espionage projects or operations coming from China are sponsored by the government. Right. There is widespread certitude that that is the case. Occam's razor, right? Right. Occam's razor. You you look at it and you think, okay, it is entirely possible that any hackers operating in China, one, maybe they're not Chinese. Mm-hmm. Unlikely, but possible. Possible. Two, maybe they're operating from a different country and using proxies to go through China. But considering the firewall of China, that seems like that be extra headache for those hackers. Mm-hmm. Uh, three, they could be operating. They could be Chinese and operating in China, but not be directed by the the Chinese government. In which case, they would still have to use proxies in order to yeah. access. That level of infrastructure. It just gets to a point where you think the simplest explanation is, in fact, there are these state-backed hackers that are are doing this on behalf or on the request of Chinese government. If not on the request, at least with the uh, 
the implicit approval. There we go. At least someone looking the other way, but yeah. even that's not enough. There's assistance involved. Anyway, I'm, I'm derailing us. So, so well, yeah. the, the point being that if, if Apple were to agree to this FBI mm-hmm. request, that is a distinct possibility that it would face not only future requests from, uh, from other government agencies as well mm-hmm. as the FBI, but from other countries as well. And that it would, it would be the wedge that drives open the possibility of things like these back doors that Apple and other companies have been resisting for years now. No, there is one other, there, there is a case that I think we should clarify here. Um, when we talk about precedent, there have been precedents in the, in the legal past mm-hmm. wherein, uh, Uncle Sam was allowed to compel a company, right? To yeah. do, and this is different, but we do need to, I think we need to differentiate these because it, it is legal in the U.S. to compel a third party, whether an individual or a corporation, to, um, help, uh, how do they word it? Like, execute a court order or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so you're, you're talking about the All Writs Act. Right. Which is a very old thing, back to what, seven- 1789. Mm-hmm. Okay. U.S. wasn't even the U.S. very much, right? <laughs> very 1789. Much, right. right. This right? is not a smartphone specific law. There were still occasional Battles with the British going on, okay, uh-huh. 1789. So Not all the states were here yet. No, many of them were not here yet. Uh, yeah, 1789 is when this writ was, was first uh, mm-hmm. written down as part of the Judiciary Act. Uh, so specifically what the All Writs Act allows the government to do is to compel a third party to accommodate federal orders like a search warrant. Mm-hmm. So in other words... The federal government can issue a search warrant to law enforcement. The law enforcement can go to, let's say it's an apartment building. They can go to the the manager of the apartment building and say, we have the search warrant. The All Writs Act tells us that you have to allow us to go into this apartment to search it. And then the apartment owner says, all right, and lets them in. Now, this serves a couple of different purposes. It expedites uh, the the work of the federal government in, in investigations and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And it also provides a protection to those third parties because the third party is having to comply with a federal request. And if you are a person like uh, an apartment manager right. and your other tenants are coming to you and saying, why are you letting them into someone's room without their permission? You can say, I have to by law. That protects you as the owner as well, mm-hmm. because it means that you're not you're not you're not a rat. You know, you're 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 right. following the law. You're obeying the law. Right. So automatically, anything you do in the assistance of the execution of that court order uh, is automatically legal. I mean, as long as you're yeah, as lo- as long as they're not saying, "Hey, we need a search warrant." You go, "Sure." Hey, while I'm on the way. Do you mind if I steal a car? Right. Or there be, or they can't say, hey, we're going to get a search warrant. Uh, do you want to just listen now? Right. Like that would not be cool. No. Um, but there's a very important idea that's attached to this All Writs Act, hmm. which is that, and the Supreme Court has ruled on this, you cannot rely on the All Writs Act to compel a third party to action if it creates an unreasonable burden upon that party. Uh. So you might say, well, what's the unreasonable burden for Apple? I mean, all they're asking for is a way around this security system. Oh, just one time. Just one just time the, for just one, the one time. Just the one time. So there are actually several counter arguments to this. 
Um, first, uh, you know, Apple is saying their programmers may not even know how to make the code that would allow for this to happen. They said, like, listen, we don't even know that we can build this yet. Mm-hmm. So you're asking us to do something that we don't know we can build. So that's an unreasonable burden because it means we have to dedicate our assets to from from projects that they should be working on to trying to figure out if this thing is possible and if so, how to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, the FBI's argument was essentially, hey, you're in the business of writing code, so this should be no problem. Right. I would desperately need a bleep sound effect right now, but I call BS. Let's ah, be nice. Yeah. I call BS on that argument because to me, that's the same as coming up to, let's say, let's say Ben, that you are a cook. Yes, here and, I am. And you cook in an Italian restaurant. You're, you're the Italian restaurant's head cook. Three Michelin stars. I go up to you and I say, hey, listen, I'm from the federal government. Mm-hmm. I got this, uh, this, this executive order, this federal order for you. Okay. All right. You have to now go and make a dinner of, uh, Peruvian food right now for 30 people that are in the restaurant. Uh, you can do it because you cook. Right, exactly. Or it's like saying, yeah, um, <laughs> it would be a disastrous Peruvian dinner, at the very least a loose interpretation. So, if, like, for another example, let's say, uh, to make it even broader. Yeah. Because I, I think this is, this is pretty good too. So, uh, Jonathan, let's say that you are a doctor. All right. Okay. You're a, you're a doctor. Dr. Strickland? Dr. Strickland. <laughs> hey, hey, call me Jonathan. Dr. Strickland's my dad. <laughs> you have, it's right. true. So you're an easygoing doctor, yeah. clearly. Um, and you are an, uh, you, you're an ear, nose, and throat man. Okay, yeah. Got and, it. And uh, so I come up to you and I say, I'm from the federal government. Yep. I have an executive order. Yeah. But not an appointment, so you're already kind of irritated. Right. And uh, I'm like, oh. And I say, I need you to make the cure for cancer. (laughs) You know? That's a bit much, yeah. I mean, you're a doctor, right? You know about organs and stuff. Cancer affects bodies. Or going to Harley Davidson and saying, look, I, you you make stuff where wheels are connected to chassis and they yeah. turn and a motor keeps mm-hmm. things going. I need you to make a bus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, you see where the, where mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. It's, it's, you can't argue that because this company is in the business of doing this one thing, which by the way is just one part of Apple's business. Absolutely. That's a that good point. they are capable of making this other thing that happens to fall into that same category. That is ludicrous on the face of it. So that's argument number one mm-hmm. about it being a burden. Okay. The second burden is the one that we've already touched on. It sets a precedent. If Apple can be forced to attack the security of its own system, in this case, it could happen again, and that would be a disastrous result for consumer, uh, you know, confidence in Apple's products. Right, that's very bad for Apple's bottom line. So if Apple says, "Look, you will make us lose millions, if not billions, of dollars in revenue," mm-hmm. how is that not an unreasonable burden? How can you argue that that burden is reasonable? Right. Exactly. And that's so. And not only that, but then you get into the the foreign agent approach, the foreign state approach, saying, what if this means that China comes to us and says, because of this other thing that we agreed to do, we now have to do it in China all the time, and real human beings are being pursued and 
uh, their lives are, are turned upside down and ruined as a result of it. Mm-hmm. And it's all because we have to comply because this has already set a precedent. That's an, that's an unreasonable burden. Mm-hmm. And finally, they've even said that it's a violation of their right to free speech. And the reason for that is because code has been ruled as a type of free speech in the past. And if the government compels Apple to write code that Apple doesn't believe in, Mm -hmm. they're being compelled to speak against their own beliefs, thus a violation of free speech. Now, that argument, most people are saying, is probably the weakest of all of them. They're styling on it a little. But i got to admit, that's pretty awesome style. Well, yeah, that is. I I enjoy it. And while it's reaching, it's not invalid. And let's consider that Apple legally, in Mm. this kind of case, is playing against Uncle Sam and on its home territory, right? And this means that you, you might often wonder why... When there are suits or countersuits or legal problems, why so many cases open with just this laundry list of mm-hmm. arguments? And it's because it's, um, you know, if we could go back to my Italian uh, restaurant, uh, you're just throwing the spaghetti at the wall. It's a scattergun approach. It, it absolutely is. You know, you're, or if you prefer, it's casting a very wide net because... You you aren't sure which tactic is necessarily going to be your best one from the starting gate, so you want right. to throw out all of them at once. Mm-hmm. And if it's if it's a compelling enough argument, then you can get things thrown out before they go any further. Um, and in fact, uh, Apple has said that they're willing to go all the way to the Supreme Court with this particular yeah, fight. The CEO said that publicly. Yeah, which interesting because I you know. Uh, uh, we recently lost a U.S. Supreme Court justice here in the United right. States. And I actually think he probably would have sided with Apple on this one because of his his uh, very strict view of the Constitution. Right. He's an originalist, Antonin Scalia. Yeah. So uh, going back to this argument a bit, I'm going to read a quote and I want to see what your reaction is because uh, I know what mine was. This is from Congressman David Jolly of Florida who said, Apple's leadership risks having blood on their hands. Ben is shaking his head and looking at me in disdain. Not not at me. He's looking through me. It's absolutely insincere, first off. And it's usually, whenever you, listeners, whenever you hear people make lurid, imagery-based appeals to emotion, right, or uh, these these hyperbolic accusations mm-hmm. the this is the bread and butter of i'll say it uh the political class yeah, with, it's political theater it exactly that's yeah. a great phrase and so to to say this in such a way what it does is psychologically you get an image of somebody with uh, with literal blood on their hands mm-hmm. and then you know they're trying to cast aspersion against apple not by not by making any point about the arguments Apple is making. Right. But by going instantly to, uh, these people are murderers. Right. If we don't well, do why, this. Why are you defending murderers? That's, that's, right. that's essentially, you know, uh, 
the argument about uh, you know it, it's it's one of those those legal arguments you will hear occasionally. This isn't a legal argument, but it's like the legal arguments you will occasionally hear where it's clear that the lawyer is trying to appeal to the jury's sense of emotion, sure, as opposed to addressing the facts of the case itself. Right. Um, so I agree entirely with you. The first reaction I had was, I'm offended. By that statement. I mean, it's condescending and it imagines that, it imagines that the person that would be swayed by that is not intelligent enough to read. And it, it deflects the fact that there are two people who were responsible for that terrible exactly. attack. Yeah. The two people. And those two people are the people who are holding the guns and pulling the trigger and aiming at people. Those, those are the ones who have blood on their hands. And of course they're, they're both dead now. They both died in the, the shootout with the law enforcement. Right, after officials. the car chase. But the point being that they're the ones responsible, not Apple. Apple did nothing in mm-hmm. relation to this crime. In mm-hmm. fact, Apple didn't give the frickin' phone to Farouk. That was issued by the county. Apple just made some made a device that has this level of security on it that people wanted. People wanted that level of security. They want to, the mm-hmm. reassurance that Apple itself can't access their phones without their permission. It's a very important cornerstone of security. In fact, if you look at iOS 8 or earlier, Apple could bypass security. Mm-hmm. They could they could access the information on a phone without your pen without you uh, acquiescing and allowing that to happen. Mm. But they specifically changed that with iOS 9. They made it so that they could not do that because they said it's important for consumers to trust the company. Mm-hmm. And how can you build trust if you know in the back of your mind this company could at any moment access my private information that I have not chosen to share with them? Uh, well, you know, that trust is destroyed in that case. Right. That kind of brings us back to that unreasonable burden. So the, these arguments are continuing. Uh, I think the next stage doesn't start till, till March 10th. Um, and we're recording this on February 26th. So I, I am very hopeful that the government sides with Apple on this ultimately, that mm-hmm. when this gets, no, the courts at any rate side with Apple on this, because if they do not, this is the, this could be like the snowball effect where we see more requests of this nature come in. And then once it, once it's been established as precedent, it's much easier to happen in the future. And it's easier to see larger requests, like things that are, that go beyond, oh, we need you to help us circumvent the security. Mm-hmm. It may go into, we need you. We finally are going to get what we've wanted all this time. Mm-hmm. We want a direct path. That like a doorway that's labeled FBI that lets us go straight into the data that your users are storing on their devices, which leads to because the FBI, this leads to a horrific situation because the FBI is an institution. Sure. Made up of individuals. Remember when the Snowden leaks uh, revealed to us the extent of unethical use of surveillance by the NSA? People would look up their ex-girlfriends or or Mm ex-boyfriends. Yeah, they were just looking up people that they were interested in with absolutely no oversight. As a matter of fact, when we talked about um, the the um, Chinese government looking the other way for hackers, mm-hmm. that was the same thing that occurred with the NSA to 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 assume 
that for some reason, given the opportunity, individuals in another law enforcement branch or another institution would not do the same thing yeah. is cartoonishly naive. You know, using the argument of this is a one-time use, that wouldn't stop the FBI from requesting another one-time use Mm -hmm. or another one-time use or even extending that beyond it saying, all right, now we want a one-size-fits-all approach to doing the same thing because it's too much time for us to ask. And don't worry, we'll we'll get a court order before we do it. And Uh, we'll make sure that nobody else gets access to this ability. And you'll know that the court order is good because uh, they'll be classified so we'll just inform yeah. you when the orders are approved. I, I have said it many times that there is no way to ensure security by enforcing a vulnerability. Yeah, and I, I think that's an astute way to encapsulate it. But there is a question that I have that I'm sure a lot of you have as well, ladies and gentlemen, which is, let's say the worst happens. Yes, okay. Worst happens, court rules uh, in favor of the FBI, mm-hmm. and Apple says... Nah, we're not going to do it. Well, I mean, if if the court, assuming it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court, this could end up becoming a matter of law where it's codified that companies have to obey that within the United States, which would mean far reaching implications, Mm -hmm. not just for Apple, but for all companies. Mm-hmm. Everyone, any any tech company, any company really, that any company doing business in the U.S. Not even yeah. based here, but yeah. just doing business. So that's a big deal. It's it's potentially disastrous for privacy. Uh, there's rampant possibilities of misuse. We've talked mm-hmm. about the possibility that if you do create a vulnerability, someone somewhere is going to try and figure out a way to also gain access to that vulnerability. Right. And these are not necessarily other law agencies or mm-hmm. intelligence agencies, or maybe they are intelligence agencies. They just happen to be intelligence agencies working for a different country. And he, yeah, and here's the problem because we've talked about this before, man. I, legislation, I think we talked about this with autonomous vehicles before, legislation is almost always outpaced by technological innovation. Yes, yeah. But you will almost always see a case where someone has figured out something really interesting to do with technology or perhaps even really scary things they could do with technology, Mm -hmm. and there are no laws to cover it because before that person figured it out, it didn't exist. So you don't write laws for stuff that doesn't exist. We don't have a law saying, listen... Guys, I just, I just, it's keeping me up at night. We have got to write a law about what happens in the case that the Loch Ness monster is real, gets out of Scotland, comes over to New Jersey, and starts to eat people. We need a law to protect us from this potential out, uh, catastrophe. Right, I'm, it's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, uh, like if we're senators, everyone in the audience, and you, Jonathan, and myself, and then one of us walks in and says. Guys, I know that, uh, I know that we have some other issues coming up and we have to nominate this court justice mm-hmm. and there's an election coming up. But I think we need to look into the future and look at the big picture, which is moon boot theft. Right. Because I don't want people shoeless on the moon when and if we build a colony there. Yeah, I think arguing, exa- for example, for robot rights right now might be a little premature, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe not forever, but for now it's definitely it's premature. It's good to think about, but, but you know, you make a very astute point when you say, uh, if we're talking about codifying something, we're yeah. codifying a law, then what, what happens is once the Supreme Court 
rules on something like this and it becomes a matter of law, it is much, it is very, very difficult to get that kind of ruling. The, the, uh, Supremes are pretty busy people. Yep. They don't hear every case that's brought before them. They absolutely don't. And then, but the thing is, you think it's hard to get one of the, to get those justices to change the substance of American jurisprudence. Imagine trying to get them to change it back. This is yeah. like a Pandora's box, Pandora's jar situation. Yeah. No, this is not, not good. You don't want this to happen for multiple reasons. Now, all that being said, are our sympathies with the families of those who are wounded and killed as a result of this mass shooting? Absolutely. I feel awful for them. And if there were any other way to get to that information that did not require Apple to be complicit in destroying its own security, mm-hmm. I would be in favor of it. And in fact, the FBI has taken such pains. They got access to the iCloud uh, backups that this phone creates. The, the problem being that the phone didn't have an iCloud backup for the month leading up to the actual attacks. Right. So there could be information on the phone that's not on the cloud, and that's why the FBI wants to get access to that. I totally understand the reasoning behind it. But, but two things, of course, keep me from being completely sympathetic. One is that the FBI has for years been trying to get backdoor access to multiple systems. Exactly. Yeah, so that, so, you could argue that perhaps this mass shooting is being leveraged cynically by the FBI in order to further their goals because it's hard to say no to such an emotionally devastating event. Right? Opportunistically, I would say. Yeah. I do. I do. No, I, I, I believe it. And this is just my personal opinion based on, again, precedent it is completely within the realm of not only possibility but plausibility that uh, an institution would wait for an opportune time to make this this kind of legislation. It's like the argument for internet surveillance, mm-hmm. based on saying, "Hey, we need to protect people. We need to protect you from um, inappropriate content and and your children. Think of the kids, right?" It really, this is this is a lot of the same stuff we heard uh, in the wake of the Patriot Act. Absolutely, uh, where a lot of people felt the Patriot Act was a reactionary uh, piece of legislation that was drafted far too quickly and had had reached far far too wide mm-hmm. for what it was. Uh, Proposing it, or what it, what it, what everyone claimed it was all about, right? And uh, that was a big mess. This is also potentially a really big mess. And the Patriot Act, the substance of it was pretty much was had been written in advance. Yeah, right? yeah, which is pretty like now it, that used to be a controversial statement, but now it's acknowledged. Yeah. So this is this is a uh, I mean the fact that FBI has had this plan for a while not this specific implementation mm-hmm. but this desire to get this uh workaround access to things and I mean I totally understand their point of view too they're trying to investigate things it's not like the FBI is necessarily made up of uh the cigarette smoking man and all of his cronies <laughs> right. you know I'm not I'm not going I don't I don't mean to to uh Disparage them. I, I don't want to demonize them, right? right? That's not that's not what I'm trying to get at either. The FBI's intentions may, in fact, be nothing but noble. That they want this in the efforts to investigate 
uh, solve crime, prevent crime from happening, and not in any way that is uh, uh, malevolent. Mm-hmm. However, the fact remains, whether their intentions are noble or not, it opens up this opportunity for people whose intentions are demonstrably not noble mm-hmm. to take advantage of those same opportunities. Let, yeah, and you know, I'm glad you said that because I want to say something that I want to add to this, something that is rarely said when we talk about um, government surveillance or concerns about privacy, right? Mm-hmm. One thing that is rarely said is that law enforcement agencies, law enforcement institutions and individuals in the U.S. actually do quite um, a, a, quite an extraordinary job compared to a lot of places. Mm-hmm. If you're um, fortunate enough to grow up in a place that has rule of law where you can Walk down the street in the dark, or you can say, you can say, uh, you know, whomever your senator or president is, you can go on the internet and say, I think they stink. Yeah, I think you're a jerk. Yeah, I think you're the piece of baloney with shoes. And then, the, yeah. but in other countries, we, you know, people get arrested for that. People get imprisoned. Sure. So we're not. People get erased. Yes. Like not just arrested or imprisoned, but the government. In some countries, will take steps to make it seem like that person was never a person. Exactly, they'll keep the photos, but you won't be in them. Yeah, and and I I say that because it's a sense of much needed perspective. However, you know I'm not demonizing the people who work at the FBI institutions, whether private or public, seek power. Mm-hmm. They seek uh, further. Further influence, and that's not, it's not because it's some sort of James Bond supervillain thing. It's not Spectre. It's not Spectre. Um, it's because it allows for, um, it allows for an easier, more efficient pursuit of whatever the original mission would be. Right. And sometimes that ends up stepping over a line that should not be crossed. So, so yeah, like, like, Ben and I, we both talk about things that here at work where we say, gosh, I wish we had X because it would make our <laughs> lives so much easier. <laughs> well, even if we got X, we would come up with Y. That'd be the next one, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we'd get X. X is awesome. X is helping us out. We're like, oh man, it's so good to have X here. But you know what? Yeah. It would be great if we had Y because if we had Y, we could really do our jobs well. Mm-hmm. We'd get Y and then, you know, Man, X and Y are working out like a dream, but boy, if we had Z, can you imagine the level we'd get to? Now, what we do, Ben, we make fun audio podcasts and videos and mm-hmm. articles that go on the internet, and that's awesome. And so, really, our capacity to do horrible, horrible harm is fairly limited. I mean, in respect to how our jobs... Comparatively. Yeah, yeah. Now, granted, if either of us wanted to go outside and just start throwing King of Pops popsicles at people, we could go on a popsicle <laughs> rampage. The havoc. But that's, that's, not, that's not job-related. Mm-hmm. The FBI, the CIA, the NSA, mm-hmm. a lot of those three-letter organizations, yeah. in pursuit of what they need to do in order to, to fulfill their their organization's mission... In some cases, we'll step over lines that we cannot allow people to cross because it creates a system that is at least as dangerous as whatever problem they're trying to solve. You know, another example of this is the the idea that 
the the idea of absolute prevention like you know there was the old conversation um about torture several years ago yeah. when it was the um ticking time bomb argument mm-hmm. which was should torture be legal if there is a criminal in custody who is suspected of having knowledge of another 9-11. This uh, is a Jack Bauer argument here. Yeah, yeah. A Jack Bauer from 24 kind of argument. Should torture, while reprehensible, be allowed when it gets results? Uh, and this, this kind of reasoning is dangerous. Not, I'm not saying that because uh, of any desire to see human tragedy, but I'm saying it's dangerous because of the assumptions it makes. Yes. That a special case will remain a special case. Right, and that perhaps the next case, which maybe isn't quite so special, like, well, you know, we've done it before. So, so yeah. what's the deal here? Yeah, I mean, you were cool last time. What happened? Yeah. So this is this is exactly why neither. I, I think I feel pretty strongly about this. I think I'm on the right track. That neither you nor I uh, feel that uh, the FBI should win out in this particular case. I think this is something where we really need to see Apple come out on top. I am not a huge fan of Apple. I don't own a lot of Apple products. That's I have true. Apple does not sponsor this show. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting any money from Apple. Uh, if anything, I'm losing money to Apple because my wife is a fan. <laughs> so she wants to get an <laughs> Apple watch, but I, I am not, I'm not getting anything from Apple. Uh, I do think they're in the right because I don't want to see a precedent where a company that creates a secure system has to be, or can be compelled to uh, compromise that security. It defeats the purpose of the security. Mm-hmm. And whether it's this case, which is extraordinary and very emotional, or something much less impactful for the general public, maybe mm-hmm. it's something uh, you know uh, uh, simpler and less uh, dramatic. It doesn't matter. It you, you cannot you cannot go down that pathway. Uh, and expect things to turn out all right. You've got to figure out other ways to do that kind of uh, investigation. Either Apple needs to go in a direction where they can uh, they can access mm-hmm. user data without having to circumvent a security system like this, which means they have to go backwards, which can, really is not a possibility. Not advisable. Or Apple and other companies have to create systems where it really is impossible for them to access without the consent or the the actions of the owner of the device. I suspect that every company is rushing to develop that kind of approach right now because mm-hmm. none of them want to be in this position where Facebook, Google, Microsoft yeah. all publicly showed support for Apple. Apple right now is um you know, part of part, Apple hired uh, a dev uh, that worked on Edward Snowden's favorite messaging app. Oh recently. yeah, yeah, and uh, and I I don't know how much of that is meant to be like a PR move, mm-hmm. but also they have um, you know the the leaked Snowden papers are out there, and I know I'm harping on them. It revealed an ugly behind the scenes look at corporate involvement with government requests for surveillance. You know, mm-hmm. so the average consumer, you, me, uh, Gary Busey, uh, we, whomever, 
we have much less trust in general in these companies because we have a reason yeah. not to trust them. Well, we we have handed over so much of our own personal mm-hmm. data. Mm-hmm. We trust that the devices that hold that personal data aren't going to just give that away to whatever entity uh, without our consent. We we trust that that's not going to happen. When things like this pop up where we start to question that trust, that's problematic. There's someone else that Apple has recently hired. Who's that? Ted Olson. Does that name sound familiar to you? Ted Olson. Ted Olson's a lawyer. Uh, so Ted Olson's going to be representing Apple. Ted Olson's probably best known for... Uh, representing George W. Bush in the Bush versus Gore election oh, fallout, you know, wow. for those of you in the United States, uh, when when Bush was running against Gore, there was this whole battle about, you know, voting recounts, voting recounts, how much and, time should be given for one. And Olson represented uh, W. Mm-hmm. George W. Bush on that, and mm-hmm. Bush ended up winning that. So now he's representing Apple in this particular battle with the FBI. So. Interesting to see these kinds of uh, personalities in, involved in this. And I know that with the public perce- perception, it's been a little seesaw-ish. But mm-hmm. general public, I would argue, the people who are not necessarily paying attention to the tech sphere, I think a lot of them are siding with the FBI because it's a terrorist story. It's a story about uh, trying to establish the most information about these these shooters as possible. Sure. Do you think so though? I do. I think that I think at least a lot of polls that I've seen leading up to today, mm-hmm. the general public tends to side with the FBI because the FBI has a very emotional story. Apple's story is much more rationally based, intellectually based. Um and the FBI story is 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 pinned on this event, this very emotionally charged event. Um, I don't know that that's going to continue. I think I think people who are savvy in the tech sphere, right? I think the majority of them side with Apple. But it's still because it's still it goes back to the ticking time bomb argument, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So this is uh, one of the stories that we definitely had to cover. I mean, obviously, it's it's such a huge it's probably Mm -hmm. the biggest story in tech right now as we record this. Um, and I, I'm glad that you could join me, Ben, to, to chat about this, to kind of give your, your insight as well and to talk about why this is so important, not just from a technology standpoint, but just a philo- philosophical standpoint mm-hmm. uh, and a matter of law as well. So, uh, Ben, where can people find other stuff what you do? Ah, yes. Uh, well, if, uh, for any audience members who are interested in stories about uh, Big Brother and overarching government surveillance, uh, you can join me uh, along with uh, my producers, Noel Brown and Matt Frederick, at our show, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, on which you have made several appearances, Jonathan. I uh, enjoyed all of them. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I like it when we go on the uh, pun tangents, which sadly doesn't happen uh, too much uh, off air. But, oh, and side note, folks, yeah, I know we didn't make very many jokes today, but uh, that's because 
I think I can I can say, you know, you and I are on the same page with this. This is a very important issue. Yeah. More more important than it may appear at the time. Yeah, we we made light of a few of the arguments simply because uh, we scoff at mm. the uh, the stated intent as opposed to what we believe is the true intent of them. Yeah. Uh, we've done that a couple of times, but, and also, you know, we do acknowledge that th- this ultimately is being tied back to a really awful event. I mm. mean, we can't, you know, we can't get around that and you have to acknowledge it and be respectful, I think. Right. And plus, uh, plus we think we're funny. Yes. Uh, so, There's uh, that too. And, <laughs> and we, we want you to remember that we think we're funny. Right. That's our opinion. We don't, we don't expect you to find us funny. That would be presumptuous. No, but we are, we think we're pretty hilarious. You can also find me with, uh, my co-host Scott Benjamin, who has appeared on Tech Stuff as well, and our show, Car Stuff, a show about everything that floats, flies, swims, or drives. Uh, Jonathan, folks can see us, uh, together even at times on our shows, What the Stuff and Brain Stuff, which answers everyday science. Why does popcorn pop? What is a GPS? And, uh, I, I know that this is something I, I recommend every time if there's someone who hasn't checked it out yet. You have another show called Forward Thinking. Which is a bright, cheery show about the future. And it really is. It's a very, it's, it's an optimistic view mm-hmm. of what our future can be based upon the very long history of humankind coming up with ingenious <laughs> solutions to big problems. Well, yeah. And you have, um, you have some great questions on there. The research is top-notch. This is a video and an audio series, so I highly recommend it. Well, thank you so much, Ben. And I really do hope that you and I get the opportunity to do some more of those videos together. It's been a long time since we've done a, a two-person episode. I wish, you know what I wish I could tell everyone is to go to Brooklyn and catch the two of us competing in, uh, what was it? The, the Punderdome. The Punderdome? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh man. There's going to be no, no puns barred when we go there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, let me know. Send me an email. The address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or you can drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle of both of those is techstuffhsw. And I will talk to you guys again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 